Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks for listening in on another episode. Or if this is your first time stopping by, I'm grateful to have you. This podcast is all about the getting started moments, the turning points that got each guest started on a new path toward happiness, the ups and downs of the journey, how they were able to commit to a change, and all the lessons learned along the way. I hope you all enjoyed this particular episode, so let's jump right in and get it started. On this week's episode, I welcome back in a former guest of the podcast, Rob Volpe, who is the founder and CEO of Ignite360. And when Rob was on last time, we had a really good dialogue and, and definitely had a connection there around empathy and you know his getting started journey. And he mentioned he was writing his first book. And I told him, when you finish it, when you're ready to launch, come on back to the podcast, let's talk about it. And he's here. He finished it. The book is out. It's called Tell Me More About That. Solving the Empathy Crisis, One Conversation at a Time. And we spend most of the conversation talking around the entire writing process, you know, the, the mental approach to it, the positives and negatives, all the, the hurdles you have to jump. And we definitely take some, you know, some side alleyways to empathy and getting started and just kind of all the different things in life uh, that happen um, as you try to do different things and break out your comfort zone. So I hope you all enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Rob. And without further ado, please welcome back in Rob Volpe. Rob, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to have you back on. Thank you, Brian. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm always excited to chat with you. And, uh, you know, one of the coolest things about this podcast, just as a note up front, especially folks listening in maybe the first time, is just like, I get to meet so many great people like yourself. And I know we we hit it off really well in the first conversations. We've stayed in touch throughout and when I saw that you're launching this new book, and I know we talked a little bit about the book on the last time you were on. Um, so to see this come to fruition, I'm like, I got to have you back on. I want to learn about everything that went on process-wise. And just for context, folks listening, we're about a month out from launch. So there, there's still some things you're figuring out probably until we get there. Um, February 22nd, yep. 20, 2022, um, which is, it's a good day. That's what I think I told you. That's, you know, I'm launching a children's book. It's the same day I decided to pick. I know. Um, I love that. I love I, there's probably not as much fanfare around mine than yours, but you know, that's, you know, that's the, you know, when you self-publish is a little different and we get into all that. Um, but welcome back. So uh, how, you. how's your, how's, how are things going in your world? I, you know, um, putting out a book truly is a, another job. Um, so it, it's been thrilling and exciting, but wow, it takes, uh, it takes a lot of work, but it's so exciting. I, I just recently got the physical printed copies, uh, a sample of them and being able to open that up and like, see, I, I don't have kids. So, and I don't want to insult parents by saying, Oh, it's just like seeing your child for the first time, but it's one of the closest things I can probably get to. Uh, and we'll get to in my life of you know, something that you've created, you've labored over for you know months, years to then actually see it like physically tangibly, like it, it, just becomes so incredibly real. Um, yeah. And then I, I also, of course, had to sit down and read my book uh, as a reader rather than as an author, editor, anxiety, you know, inducer sort of thing. It was just like, let's step back and actually read this and like how did what just have that experience and be in that sort of joy um, of the the moment of, of appreciating what I've done. Um, and that's that was really, really awesome. I just finished it uh, a week or so ago. And 
that was really cool. I was very happy with how it turned out there. I found, uh, uh, I found a typo. Um, <laughs> I found a typo and I was like, shit. Um, but the publishers told me apparently it's good luck in the publishing industry to have a wow. typo in your books. So that's, how, that's how they spin it to you. <laughs> that's how they spun it to me. And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. And then they're like, you know, look, the, it'll get corrected in the ebook edition before the ebook even drops. And when we do, Sam being so positive and optimistic, when we do a second printing, yeah. then um, they'll, they'll fix it for that too. And um, yeah, there were a few other times when and it was it was interesting like there were a few other things where I, I would occasionally drop into that editor author stress person mode and go why did I say that that way or why did I use that word twice in the same paragraph or, or something like that which are just kind of basic sort of writing rules for me and I thought I had caught all of that in the proofing process and copy editing and mm -hmm. they still slip through damn it um but uh, but the, it's it's fine. I, you know, I don't know that anybody else is going to notice or comment on it. And if they do, that's okay. They, they're allowed to. Um, well, and that's the interesting thing about that. Well, and I, and I want to get into that because I want to understand your perspective on it, especially now that you mentioned, you know, you had read through it, you know, kind of the first time, maybe in a while and or since it was complete. But I want to take a step back, especially I'm curious, and I'm assuming folks listening in may be curious. Let's go back, though, before we get into the writing process, because I have a ton of stuff. Maybe let's 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 kind of split this up into two parts. I'm really curious to go back. So the, the title, tell me more about that, solving the empathy crisis one conversation at a time. OK, why did the book need to be written in the first place? Ooh, great question. Um, we've. I go back to now almost 12 years ago um, in an airport somewhere in the United States watching CNN airport channel. And I remember a story coming up about how there was an empathy crisis and a study out of the uh, university of Michigan and the college students, they did a, the, the uh, researchers did a study. They looked at all the student life surveys from 1979 to 2009 across like 76 universities, and they found a 40% decline in college students' ability to have empathy with each other um, starting in 2001. It was a, the most pronounced drop uh, right at the turn of the century, if you would, right, going into 2001, and it never picked up after that. And I remember here it was, you know, 2010, and I'm seeing this, I'm like, good Lord, if, if, if you were a college student in 2001, I mean, today, that means you're in your early 40s. So there's all of this. And if their empathy skills aren't getting better, that's going to create huge issues for the way that we communicate, collaborate, persuade, make decisions, find forgiveness, enable compassion. So many things that empathy is, is critical to that it really set off the alarm bells for me. And I was like, somebody's got to do something about this. And, you know, I'm standing in an airport looking around and everybody's like, you know, the guys over at the bar having a beer, other passengers are racing to get their flight. And I felt like it was this very kind of Cassandra moment where you're standing there seeing something going, this is really bad. And you don't get the sense that anybody else is, is feeling it. So why did the book have to get written? In those uh, years after that, we started really studying empathy. I got very curious about what it takes to be empathetic and how do you get to empathy? And in my job, um, my day job, as I call it, <clears throat> doing consumer insights, 
what I do is take clients and help them connect empathetically with their consumer or their customer, and then figure out what to do about that, how to make better products, better services, um, you know, better marketing campaigns that, that resonate better. And I noticed that there were times where they were having a lot of judgment or they weren't really listening or they weren't really able to reconcile in their heads why uh, you know, people would behave a certain way when, when the clients themselves would behave differently. And that really led into the, okay, well, what do we have to do? How do we coach them to get them over these hurdles, develop the five steps to empathy, and then I was, um, another thing that I do, I often um, speak at, at different places. I was at a university giving a, a presentation to a uh, consumer behavior class, and I was telling my stories from being in the field, and I was talking about, um, you know, my own experiences of judgment and, and when that got in my way, and the the students were eating it up. Like, they, they were just, like, almost slack-jawed, wrapped in attention, and this voice inside my head was like, this is what you need to write about. This is what you need to talk about and how to communicate it. Cause this is what people are interested in. And that was like, okay, this is, this is the book that I'm going to do. And I knew I, I've, I've always loved writing. I knew I had a book in me. I had actually started one, you know, because when you become a CEO, it's like, oh yeah, you're supposed to go write a book. Um, so I had that tape in my head that, oh yeah, the right thing for me to do is go, write a book, get, you know, uh, uh, awareness for my agency and all of that. And like, okay, well, what's the book going to be about? And I'd started down one path and it was interesting, but I wasn't really passionate about it. Um, at that point, I, I, it just wasn't clicking with me. And I thought, you know, this is because this is a second job effectively on top of, of uh, running a company, I need to really be passionate about it. And then when I had that moment at the university and I saw the way the kids were responding to the stories about empathy, it was like, oh, well, hello, this is, this is what I need to do. And so I set out writing the book that was back in 2015. Yeah. Well, and I think part of it, and you kind of mentioned that study and, you know, that kind of triggered this. It's, it kind of reminds me of like the, uh, I think it's called like the Dunning-Kruger effect. Like do people even know that they're, like not empathetic like do they think they're being empathetic or do they think they're you know in that regard you know what i'm saying like I, it almost feels like and and i see this around because because I, I actually think i think you and i are similar in the regard of like very empathetic people and really recognize that and it's something that's taken me you know i've had a workout over my life um, especially my adult life but when you see other people not be like that you're like yeah that is interesting i wonder if they know that they're not empathetic. So how do you, I mean, and maybe this is part of, you know, kind of the book, you can share some of the the tidbits in there. Um, you can, you, you know, you can talk a little bit, you don't have to give, you know, the, the farm away, but what are some of the things that you saw during the research, during the, the writing of this about, like, do people even know they're empathetic? How do, how do they feel? How do they get to that step first before they can solve, you know, and become better? Right, like, and realize that they need empathy. And it's a, a, a great question. And empathy uh, I think empathy is misunderstood, um, which is another reason why I wanted to write the book and help mm -hmm. clarify a few of those things. So people confuse it with sympathy, um, and those are two different things. There's also two different types of empathy. There's cognitive empathy, which is perspective taking, and then there's emotional empathy, which is uh, feeling the feelings of somebody else. And 
I've, I often will say like, not everybody is able to drop down into the feelings and that deeper sort of level of empathy um, with each other and its emotions. And so there's a lot of baggage um, in, in many societies around displaying emotion or, or, you know, it's a weakness or something. And that isn't the case, but it's like, okay, there's emotional empathy and then there's cognitive empathy. Cognitive empathy is the one that we use when we are faced with the other. Um, and that can be, you know, other ways of thinking or behavior or people from another country or town or state or political party, like you name it, anybody that's other, you go into a place of cognitive empathy to try to connect with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's about demystifying and, and giving people that foundational understanding so that then once they understand that, oh, okay, this feels a little safer. It's not about me feeling the feelings. It's about me seeing the point of view of somebody else. And then how do I actually do that? And what I've found is is um, judgment is the thing that gets in our way and being judgmental. Um, we're really critical um, society and not in a you know there's and there's there's two types of everything it's like i'm dealing with all of the words that like no like they just come up with a different word for empathy for both of the different types instead of having to explain it but when you think about judgment it's similar there's there's being judgmental which is about casting aspersion um and then there's making a judgment and making a judgment is decision making and 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 that you definitely need like do i walk down that dark alley or not being judgmental though is all of your own stereotypes and 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 biases that you carry with you your past experiences those are the things that get in our way so that we're not even um, open to getting to a place of empathy and our society has gotten to a place where you know, being judgmental is rewarded. Um, you know, it, it's it's rewarded and accepted. Um, the trolls on the internet you can hide in in um, um, what's the word uh, anonymity. You can hide in anonymity on the internet and say whatever you want to say. And there's very little repercussions at this point. You can, you know, if you look at the, uh, uh, entertainment now, it's so much, and, and has been for 20 years in reality television and the, all the competitive shows, it's all about attacking each other and one upping and it's a zero sum game that we're in. And it, it, wasn't like that in the same ways. Um, and then, you know, you've got now technology allowing our bubble um, to be based on ideology rather than geography. And so, um, you know, you you don't get challenged with any sort of outside thinking. Yeah, um, that's what I was actually going to say, if I could interject on that, I, I think that's probably the biggest, in terms of what I see, that's the biggest issue, right? Because, yeah, the trolling... As we know, it's probably such a small percentage, but they're the loudest voice in the room. But like, yeah, when you're in a group, and sometimes I see this, I'm actually doing a whole social media detox this month. I did it two years ago, and I'm like, I got to get off social media for another month. It's been great, you know, whatever, over half the month in. But um, what one of the reasons was like, you know, whether it's on Facebook a little bit, or you see this in other groups, to I think what you're getting at is 
everyone can just pile on and pile on these other ideologies that those folks aren't in the room to defend themselves or explain or share or have these open dialogues, right? So now it's like you're judging, you're judging, you're judging, and you feel good about yourself because everyone's agreeing with you, you know? But the reality is it's it's actually probably not good for your emotional or, or mental stability, you know? And uh, no, it, it isn't. Um, it isn't. And I think if you, you look at, you know, the trolls and yeah, there are, it, it is the exception to the rule, but they're out there. Mm-hmm. And, and I think to different degrees of it, but if you look at any sort of media figure that you cover or political person that you're following on Twitter, like there's so much nasty, nasty stuff that's thrown out there. And it's yeah. like, why? To what end? You're not even trying to make a cohesive argument. You're just, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're spouting nonsense because it makes you feel better. And we're exposed to that now. And, and whether I'm the one doing it or not, I'm not. But, you know, I, I still see it. I still see. And then I, that's kind of hitting into my brain and, and you're trying to have to reconcile like, okay, why is this person being this way? And do you take them seriously or not? And um, that has a really uh, uh, damaging effect, I think, on people. Yeah. And, and even fo- like, and maybe you're like this, but like I mentioned, where I'll do a social media detox or try to like get away from those, the, the trolls and all that. Now, all of a sudden it's just a small group, just com- again, complaining, you know, trolling, right. making issues, all that stuff. And it sounds like that's the the norm. Hey, they're out there. Well, it's like, no, everyone else just exited the conversation because they don't want and to they, get sucked into the negativity. Exactly. And then they don't comment and you don't see how many people actually viewed your post or, or whatever the post is that's in question. You only see whatever those comments are. And then if it's all curated through the algorithms and all mm-hmm. of that, um, yeah, it, it just, it's a downward, downward spiral. Um, I love that you're doing a, a social media detox though. Yeah. It, you know, I did it. And so in 2020, I was doing kind of these months where I was learning all, like, I think I did like in February that year, I did like an hour of stretching every day. I learned Spanish in March. I were actually, it's so funny. We're talking, um, this is actually, it, it, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about this in a while. So the, the book that I'm launching on the 22nd of February, this children's book, it's my second one. I actually wrote it in April of 2020. It was part of my, um, this kind of month long thing I was doing, you know, throughout the year and actually wrote the book that month. I probably wrote, you know, whatever the first full draft of it. Um, it's a, it's a rhyming book, you know, it's a, just similar to my first one. It's like a rhyming kids book, uh-huh. but anyways, it's just interesting. It actually got me thinking about that. Um, and that's, that's a whole nother podcast on, you know, goal setting and, and, and those type of things. But uh, yeah, the detox is interesting because, you know, I can, I can relate back to 2020 because I did a podcast interview on it, or I mean, a podcast episode on it, where I kind of just talked about all the things. And I was thinking about that as I went to this one, I actually feel way better this time around than last time. How like so? last time around, like three days in, like I was like shaking, I think like I was looking at the app, like I think I like looked at it like six times a day. And I, you know, like that area where I pad the apps. Um, but even this time, you know, it's interesting in 2020, when I did it, I deleted all the apps. So I wouldn't even be like tempted. Wow, good for you. This year, I decided not to do that. Because I wanted to see, okay, do you have a little bit more, <laughs> you know, strength willpower? Or willpower? Yeah. Yes, that's the word. Um, so uh, yeah, it's been it's been good, um, and I think part of it too, though, I, I've changed since since doing that in 2020. And I don't know if you do this at all. Like, I've I changed the way of 
like I put, um, although I don't always follow it, um, I put like a 30 minute timer per day on those oh, social cool. media apps. You know, you can, in, in the iPhone, you can do that. I'm sure in, you know, Android, you can as well. But I also, um, I, I also like moved it to the last screen on my phone. So I have to scroll like two times over you to get really to really slide yeah. over to get to it. Yeah. And then, and then the, um, the third thing I did, which I think was the most important is I turned off all notifications. Yeah. So I don't get before like, Hey, someone commented or someone like, like I would do in the past. And now you're like clicking into it and it's disrupting your day. So I took that off. So anyways, I've learned in, you know, whatever the two years since it was, but uh, yeah, well, you know, what do we got two more weeks? So we'll see how it goes. That's awesome. What's been the hardest uh, challenge with it this time? I mean, I think the biggest thing is just the connection with people that I've made, like some people I've connected with through those platforms. And that's kind of how I only connect with them. Mm -hmm. Um, So just being able to, you know, one of the big things, and and you probably know this, I know, you know, we kind of follow, follow each other online is like, I'm all about positivity and optimism and gratitude. Like that, that's just, you know, part of who I am and and, and what I want to give out to the world. So I like to be able to comment on people's messages and, and give them kind of, you know, like proud of you. Hey, you're doing great. You know, like kind of that motivation, I think is helpful because I don't think enough people do that. Um, so anyways, that's what I miss. I kind of miss that. Yeah. The connection, um, if you will. So. And that make now makes, makes perfect sense. And I think it speaks a lot to who you are as a person as well, that you approach social media that way. And, um, yeah, I, 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 (laughs) a plus on turning off the notifications. I did that I mean, oh my God, it was a few years ago that I did it, but it was driving me crazy. And I'd get all like, I could feel the, I don't it was a cortisone. I could feel the stress rise up in my body every time I'd get like all these notifications coming in of emails. And I, I turn, my son, my phone is on silent. Like I don't, it, you know, unless I know I'm, there's a call that's coming that I have to take, then I'll turn it on so I can hear the ringer. Yeah. But otherwise, I leave it on silent. I don't have any notifications come in. So I and I turn off the little badges also because it was stressing me out right when the pandemic started. I don't know why, but the first couple of months, the volume of emails I was getting from clients just seemed to kind of go through the roof. Yeah. Um and I had a, you know, the, the, the badge on the uh, desktop, like Outlook icon would show how many emails I had. And I uh, remember sitting in a meeting, um, I was on a client workshop or something, it was probably like two hours long. And I could see the numbers going up and up and it was like, oh my God, what, what is happening? And, you know, some of it was junk, some of it was legit, but it was just all this stress. I'm like, I don't need this. I need to take control. I need yeah. to turn those things off. And I don't think a lot of people realize they have that ability and, and want to empower themselves or, or break that, break the connection, uh, and, and take control of your life again and say, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own time, on my own terms. Yeah. Um, I love setting the timer too. I'm... <laughs> well, I think the time, well, that's the thing, like utilizing, I look at the phone before. Yeah. I was like, Oh my God, I go online. I do all this stuff. Now I look at it as a tool to prioritize my things that are most important. So right. to your point, like I put, you know, I have the do not disturb automatically come on. I think it's from 10 to eight you know, 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. Okay. And then I do, like I have it turned on right now for our, our podcast interview, um, But I, at, at which Apple made a lot easier where you could just flip on like some of the different settings of it. 
which is nice. And I appreciate them kind of thinking through that. Um, but yeah, turning off the notifications, you know, only looking at email. I don't know. Do, do you batch like your emails? Do you only do it a certain time of day or do you kind of just as it flows? I do it as it flows. I should. Um, and out of the corner of my eye on my other screen, I can see my emails. It's a holiday, you know, it's MLK day today. So technically we're closed. So I'm not totally watching it, but they're right there <laughs> and I can see it. Um, and I can see the number, but, um, uh, no, I don't batch and I need to, I need to be better about these blocks of time. I'm going to go and do my email. Um, I tend to, you know, always have it open and always looking and, yeah. I hate having unopened emails. Um, it really it drives me crazy. Um, so I try to stay on top of it as best I can. I'm right there with you. I, I try to do inbox zero as much as possible. You know, that's that's kind of the goal. If I, if it's possible, you you probably get way more emails than I do. So maybe it's more difficult. But well, uh, no, it's I. <laughs> It's so funny. I would love to do um, a study or just, you know, a conversation, an honest conversation of like how people approach their email. Their like, you don't want to know how many tabs I've got um, open on it. Like they're microscopic little tiles. There's so many of them. My COO just constantly makes fun of me for it. Um, Cause, cause she's not that way. And then email, I don't do the folder thing. Um, I just let it all sit in my inbox, but mm. I open everything. And that's how I know whether I've done something. And there's so much, because we're a consultancy, there's just so much constant forward happening that I'm usually not digging back a few days, uh, more than a few days. Occasionally mm. I need to go find something from six months ago and I can just search and do that. But yeah, it, it, you, yeah, tens of thousands of emails, mm-hmm. um, which I can see you're getting like, oh my God, that would totally hey, you, you do you, whatever's. <laughs> but no, exactly. But that's what's whatever fascinating works. about yeah. it. It's like, to, it would be really interesting to just ask people, it would how be. do you manage, you know? And, and I guess if you ask me, I wouldn't say that I don't manage my inbox. I manage it because I make sure I open everything and I do delete things that I don't need, or I know, like I delete all the junk and, yeah. and stuff. Um, and we've started from a data retention, uh, policy, we go back and at the end of every project, we clean everything out. So it, that has slowed down my, uh, constant growth of, of email. Hmm. Well, Sitting that, actually, that actually might be a really good transition into writing this book. Sure how you were able to one, how did you, how did you structure the book? Let's start there. Like how, how would you, how'd you, before you even got into it? So we'll talk about the, I want to talk about the writing process, but you know, you had this idea, you wanted to talk about empathy. Did you know right off the bat how you wanted to structure the book in terms of chapters and kind of ideas, or did you do an outline or did it change during the process? How, how did that work at first? Um, yeah, and having never written a book, and I wasn't working with a publisher or an editor at that point, I wasn't really sure how to do it. You know, you can look at any business book, and, and mine is not a business book, but that's when I started, it was kind of like, okay, well, I'm a CEO, and I'm writing a book, it's kind of like a business book. How are those structured? And um yeah, and I looked at those and I was like, yeah, but I want to tell stories. I'm, I'm, I'm such a storyteller. It's so part of my DNA and I have amazing stories. I think amazing stories to share from my experiences in the field. And through that, people can learn about building empathy through my own 
misadventures, successes and failures and trying to become empathetic with somebody. So I started the process, the very, very first draft of the book. Um, so mind you, it was around 2015 where I had this like idea. And then, as I've mentioned, it's kind of, it became the nights and weekends sort of assignment and long plane flights, really. So whenever I would have some isolated time, there was no Wi-Fi on a plane or I had, like, we had an open weekend, I'd do some writing. And so it took me a while in, I think it was spring of 2017, I had a first draft completed. And I really just started with, what are the stories that have really impacted me or challenged me in a certain way? Um you know, related to empathy and just in my experience um, uh, as a researcher. And I started there and I started to write those stories. And I went back into the transcripts if we still had them and um, pulled from that and, and started working through that. And then I'd written this you know, probably 30 or 40 pages that was the upfront um, uh, sort of theoretical kind of didactic piece. And then there, here's all these stories. I knew I needed to cover off on the five steps and, you know, it's like, okay, well, do I do that journey through the five steps? Do I do my own journey to understanding empathy? Because one of the things that I realized early on is this is not, and, and I don't think any learning is, it's not linear. Like you don't conquer one skill and then do the next skill and never have to worry about the first skill. It's like, you you might dismantle your judgment in some situations and you've moved on to asking good questions, but judgment will still get in your way. And so you've got to constantly be mindful of that. Or you're challenged in a certain way that is harder to actively listen or to integrate into your understanding for any number of different reasons. So Initially, I was like, I don't know if I want it to be so step one, step two, step three, step four. So I was like, let me just write. So I started writing and I got that first draft done. And in a very grand romantic gesture, uh, I asked some friends who live over in the UK if I could go and hang out at their cottage uh, in West Wales and have that author sort of experience of hold up in the countryside and review my work and think and ponder and take meaningful walks and things like that. And they, they very generously said yes. And so I printed the whole thing out, got on a plane, flew over to, to West Wales, started working through it. And I was like, I finished it. I was like, hmm, I'm not liking this. What's missing? What's going on? And that's when I really was like, oh, it's that first 40 pages of having to slog through all the sort of theory and the, to me, the dry stuff. Mm -hmm. um, because again, I want, I wanted to write a book that I wanted to read that yeah. was going to be entertaining and informative and moving and inspiring ultimately. And that, you know, I was like, I would never get through the first 40 pages. And apparently my publishers have told me a lot of books, people only read the first 40 pages. Um, so they're like, you got to get to your point to get them to commit to doing the rest of it. Um, so anyway, I tore the book apart at that point. And, and yeah, I remember that my friends had this huge table uh, in their dining room. And I just took every story and every chapter, separated it out. And I was like, let me look at this chronologically in my chrono chronology mm -hmm. and how I've experienced it. And I started to lay it all out that way. And I was like, let me work on the book this in this chronological fashion mm -hmm. and see where it takes me because then it becomes my journey. And I was um, getting some guidance through. So 
I work with an energy healer here in San Francisco, and she's very intuitive and and in communication with spirit and all of that. And we're doing one session and I had been talking about the book. And I mean, this is back in like 2017. I remember her saying, put more of yourself into the book. Mm-hmm. Like just keep putting more of yourself into it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's true. If you looked at those early chapters, it was very much me observer of what was happening versus me in it, you know, and really providing more about who I am and what I was doing and how I was responding to things. So Draft two started with that uh, goal of putting more of myself into it, telling more of the story. And actually, the next few rounds, we're continuing to do that. And finally, um, in fall of 2018, I think it was the fourth round going through, um, I was like, all right, I've got to share this with people and start to find out, get feedback. Because, you know, you, you can keep iterating your own work forever. But at some point, I was like, I, I need to start hearing from people what they think. So can I can I interject if you don't mind? Yes, please. I, I just want to I, I know there's a bunch of questions probably in folks minds because I know I have 20 of them. Um, first is, do you remember that first draft, the like the word count? And then when you got like to the fourth draft, was it more or less? Did you trim? Do you remember that by off, off the top of your head? Off the top of my head, no, but can I find it quickly? Let's sure. find out. Um, I'm just curious, like, did you go from like 100,000 down to like 40 or, you know? Uh, you tr- 100,000, that's it. The book ended at 103,000. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, but the first <laughs> the first round was a lot uh, smaller than that. And then I really expanded it. And then it just kept, you know, it went this way and that way. Uh, first First draft, 531.17. And I have it all broken out by chapters. Let me see. There's a... 531.17. 530, May 31st, 2017. Oh, I was like, sorry. Is that 531,000? No, 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 no. It never got that. No, no. Good Lord. War and Peace. War and Peace, the Game of Thrones Chronicle. It's all of that. Uh, hold on one second, and I can tell you. So it um, it definitely grew. I I had looked up. I did do a Google search to find out like how long should books be, and you know they kind of said eighty thousand, sixty to eighty thousand was kind of the running total these days. Um, and what's my word count? First draft was 69,000 words. So I knew I was pretty close in length. So you were at uh, 70 and then you finish at about 100. Well, it was at 70. And then I've got on this one spreadsheet, because I was like capturing, um, yeah, it, it got up to 132,000. I don't know which draft this is. Okay, so you went higher and then you kind of trimmed back. Yeah, totally went higher because I figured too, I was okay with doing that because I knew like it's easier to cut than to yeah. add uh, in theory. So yeah, let's say I ended up around 132 to 150 probably. Um, it would have been like a 450 to 500 page book had... Like from when I first started talking to publishers, Um, but I didn't care. I was like, let me just write this, get it out to people, see what they think. And these are, you know, friends and family, trusted, um, trusted advisors. 
Um, and they, you know, read through it, some more than others. Um, but even that feedback, if they weren't able to get through a section, it was yeah. like, okay, that was telling me. And the, the biggest piece of feedback that I got, um, well, A, they loved the stories. So, okay, great, home run with that. But there was structurally, um, you know, as I was talking earlier, that idea of do I organize it by the five steps or do I tell my chronological story? Well, turns out my chronological story really only matters to me. <laughs> People needed, if they're going to learn something, like they need some sort of structure organization um, mile markers is how one woman described mm -hmm. it. But I did, uh, I, I have some of the best feedback I've ever received. Um, one woman who read it, she lives in uh, South Carolina. Mm -hmm and was reading it over the holidays. And on New Year's Day, it's the tradition to do like Hoffman John and, and greens and whatnot. And she she said she burned the greens on New Year's Day because she was so engrossed uh, in the book trying to read it that she forgot about what was going on on the stove. And to me, that was just like, okay, that's like a home run. If I can burn the greens across America, that would be like really awesome. Um, that would mean that the book is really engaging and grabbing people's attention. So, so yeah. Did, did you, uh, you mentioned those 40 pages at the beginning were kind of dry and, you know, what have you. So when you got to like the fourth draft and I'm sure, I know you've had more sense, but were those 40 pages cut down at all? Did and is that where you kind of reshaped the book at that point or? Yeah, that's where I realized like, what if I, chopped up those 40 pages and sprinkled them throughout all the okay. different stories. Gotcha. And that's a lot of what happens. The way the book is structured now, there's an introduction that's about 10 pages. And that's where I have some of that, you know, why is this important and what do we need? And then I get right into the storytelling um, and my own experiences starting in childhood and then share in the first few chapters different um, lessons of things I was talking about, the difference between sympathy and empathy, different types of empathy that are out there. Um, and then it gets into finally when, and, and this is where some of the chronology meets to the, the structure in the book. Um, when I have that transition and have the experience that opens my eyes to like, hey, we need to go, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, be more empathetic and I need to do that. And how do I figure that out? Um, that's when then the five steps um, start. And then there's a section with multiple chapters on each of the steps. And then it comes back through part three is about, you know, empathy in our, our everyday life. So it's when empathy eludes us is the, the beginning, the five steps to empathy, and then, you know, basically putting empathy into everyday practice at the end. Was the plan always to use a publisher or were you considering self-publishing? Tell me about that journey a little bit. Yeah. So back in, I think it was 2016, 17, early on when I was writing the book, I, and I had always thought about it. I, I was not interested in doing the full self-publish route. I, I recognized that I was going to need help. And so full-on self-publishing didn't feel like the right thing to do, but I didn't really know much about publishing in general. So um, my sister knew of a woman, my sister was living in Laos in Southeast Asia um, at the time. Um, my brother-in-law worked for World Vision, which is a nonprofit uh, relief organization. And there was a woman that they knew in the expat community who's from South Africa and who had worked in publishing. 
And so we were trying, my sister was trying to connect us while my husband and I were there visiting. Um, sister was trying to connect us. Schedules weren't working. We ended up meeting, sitting in a cafe in the Laos airport in Vientiane, the, the capital city. And she's like sketching out on a napkin all the different, the kind of three different routes. And she started talking about, you know, there's traditional publishing, working with the, the big traditional publishing houses. There's the self, true self-publishing route. And then there's this hybrid option. And she started to explain what that was about. And that sounded really intriguing to me because um, it, it gave me more resources and gave me more control. The, the risk of it was that I was going to have to make the investment. So you know, traditional publishing, you hear about the author getting the advance um, in a hybrid model. It, it's all flipped around where the author is paying the publisher um, to help with editorial design, distribution, sales, marketing, and all of that. So it's kind of like, that's probably the route I want to go. Um, and I had one conversation with an agent about that a friend had connected me to his literary agent about possibly going the the other route and she the the agent had offered this was after I had that fourth kind of big version that was out and people were reading it and um yeah the agent had offered to take a look at it when I got it to the next place but the way world events even worked out and, and my own life, it just never, it never got there. And I ended up engaging the hybrid publisher and going down that route instead. What was, like, well, guess what was the hardest part of that? What was the, you know, what was, where was it the most helpful? I mean, kind of take it from both fronts. You know, where, where did it help you the most? Where did you feel like it was a struggle or you had some challenges with it? Working with a hybrid publisher? Yeah. Yes. You know, so I'm working with page two. Um, I will shamelessly plug them because they've been amazing. Um, uh, somebody referred me to them. They're out of Vancouver. Seth Godin apparently had uh, uh, praised them and said they've they've really got the model figured out and they've done it right. And and what I was noticing when I was looking at at um, hybrid options you know, and I work in marketing and uh, marketing services. So I knew the importance of the marketing and the sales and marketing. And some of the hybrid publishers were like, yeah, we'll, you know, give you the editorial help and the design, and you're going to have this awesome book and good luck. And it's like, well, okay, but who's going to put it into the bookstores? Who's going to do all those things that will help people find the book, stumble across it when they're browsing in a bookstore or online or whatever. And they didn't have those solutions available. And page two did. Um, and they actually have a distribution arrangement with Macmillan now globally uh, outside of Canada, uh, where they work with Raincoast, which is apparently is a well-known distributor there. But anyway, they have their own sales organization and they tap into Macmillan's sales and, and distribution organization. So then it's like, okay, I've got, I felt like I had more resources available. The book still has to, uh, succeed on its own merits, but at least I, somebody was going to be helping get the the book into bookstores. It wasn't going to be me going to every Barnes and Noble begging them to, you know, take two copies of my book. Um, they had somebody else to do that, so that made made page two, you know, on paper very attractive or strategically very attractive. And then just meeting them, um, uh, Jesse Finkelstein, the publisher, is just one of the most wonderful human beings I've ever met. Um, 
and through the whole journey, they have made me a first time author. Um, sorry, my I don't know if you can hear that. My neighbors are doing some form of construction. No, uh, no worries. It's, it's, it just started as our call started. <laughs> um, but uh, Jesse was amazing. And even the rest of her team, like I have felt so safe and secure um, as a first time author and you know, they, they have talked me off the ledge many a time, um, and given me really what I think is great guidance and, and wisdom, but I've never felt like they're doing it to just make a buck or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and they had those resources and, you know, every step of the way, like I started working with an editor because I had a 132,000 word manuscript that was just way too big and it was sprawling. And I, I hadn't had the chance to, go off and take all that feedback that I got in late 2018 and do anything with it. Work was crazy in 2019. I did have a grand romantic gesture of going on a, a voyage on the Queen Mary II from Cape Town, South Africa, up to Southampton. That was going to give me three weeks, basically. It's that idea of like being isolated where you can't mm-hmm. get connected and then you can do the thinking and the writing. That got canceled because of the pandemic. And, and so finally, it was late 2020, heard about page two, reached out, had a conversation with them. And I was like, I've just got to do this. And they can help me do the work that I was going to go do on the Queen Mary. And I'd be working with an editor who knows what she's talking about and is an author herself. So um, yeah, this time last year, they started uh, giving me notes and I started the long process of uh, revising the book and trimming it down and giving it the structure and the shape. When did it, because I, and maybe I'm wrong on this, so correct me, but I know with traditional publishing, at least other folks have on the podcast or things I've researched, they're kind of the ones, especially because they're putting the bulk of the resources up front, right? If they're given the advance of it, it appears, and I could be wrong, that they're the ones given like the thumbs up, okay, this is finally ready to go. Is that the same with page two? Or did you have more control over, hey, listen, we're done. Like, I got to launch this. I feel confident. Like what, how did that process work of actually getting, cause it's never really done. Like you can, you know, you can as always I was saying, I was as, rereading my book going, right. Why did I use that word twice in two paragraphs? Right. Um, so we can always tweak it. But when, when was the final, like, Hey, this is actually done. We're, we're not making any more changes. Yeah. Well, driven by the, the publication date. So it was about a year ago when it's like, okay, when do we want the book to come? And we had conversations about, you know, apparently there's a, it's human nature. There's a lot of ego that gets involved. And especially when you're creating something and getting uh, uh, your own child birthed and and out into the world. Um, And so they were telling me like uh, some authors really want you know, Q4, fall, holiday sales. I want everybody to have this in their stocking stuffer. And they said to me, and I didn't ask for that, but as we were just generally talking about what might work, they started there and they were like, unless you are, you know, I mean, think about the big bestsellers, you know, Katie Couric's biography, Brene Brown's new book. Unless you're one of those, you're not going to break through a lot of the noise. So Q4, and that's, you know, Q4 is when a lot of the big blockbusters come out. So don't do that. Q And then it's like, okay, and Q1, and Q1 was feeling better. So January to March, that was feeling better from a perspective of uh, what I needed to do and the timing that we were going to need. Mm-hmm. Um, they said that January is kind of a, a wash unless you're really a, a, 
you know, the diet books and things like that. A lot of retailers, though, are just resetting and kind of catching their breath from Q4, from the holiday. So like, no, no, January, not so great. Um, and then let's look at February and March. And then, you know, it's like, okay, books always come out on a Tuesday. I didn't realize that, but they always drop on a Tuesday. So what are all those Tuesday dates? And 22222 came up and I was like, okay, that's super cool because this is a book about empathy and it takes two people to have empathy. And it happens to be my grandmother, one of my grandmother's birthdays. So I was like, there's some sort of a sign that like, it's gotta be that date. So we put the stake in the ground. And then once you have that, you start to build your calendar out, backing up from all of that. Okay. Um, and that led to like an October date. So when did I know it was done? You don't. Well, no, actually, as when we were revising and cutting down from 132,000 words to about 100, and you know, they would have liked it if we could have gone a little less. But I remember in some of the email exchanges, the book, you know, and Jesse said in an email, she's like, the book is at the length that it's supposed to be. It's just kind of, there's, there's, there is this sort of natural organic kind of length to a book to tell the story you want to tell mm -hmm. and to get the points across. And as we looked at like, well, what else could we possibly trim, um, you know, and what are you giving up? And that was, and then it's that trade-off and it's like, well, you know, maybe I could slice a little bit off of here, but is it really helping that much? What's it really doing? What are we giving up? We were just at that point where this is, this is, this is the book. This is what the book was supposed to be. Um, and oddly, for some reason, the number 318 was always in my mind. And, you know, if you look on, on Amazon or any of the other uh, order sites, the books, it says 330, because by the time you add all the other pages, it's like 330. But actual written content is 320. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel kind of good that I hit the, um, I hit that number that was for whatever reason, just always sitting in my head. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, it's just where it was supposed to be. What, uh, if we can chat just briefly on the launch plan. So is, again, is that something, was that on you or is that on you? Or do you have a lot of help with the actual launch strategy, how to get the word out, pre-sales, those type of things? Yeah, so uh, page two has a marketing uh, director, head of marketing, Chris Brandt, that I work with uh, very closely. And they have, you know, there, there's a pretty standard playbook of things to do. Um, you know, you want to get review copies out to key media, key people that might, you know, I would I'll use the word influencer. It's not like Kim Kardashian's reading this. I'm going to tweet about it. I would love it if she tweeted about it, but I don't know her. So I'm not reaching out to her about it. Um, so, but who are the people in your network that have a voice that might be bigger that can help be a megaphone for you um, and get the word out, reaching out to them. Um, you know, what's the the social media kind of plan to it? Are you going to do any launch events? What are the podcasts that you want to try to appear on? Um, they have that plan. And then, you know, it really, it's like, okay, here's the basic steps. And then how strongly you want to step into those is really kind of up to you and your own resources. So I have on my team, um, I've got a couple of publicists, a couple of social media experts, um, all helping to make 
magic sort of happen, if you would. Um, Is there anything unique in the process that you were kind of like, oh, that's that's creative, or I didn't think that that was a step. Anything you can think of that was maybe helpful for others listening in that might be in that same boat? You know, the struggle for me has been um, let, letting go of my ego and just drift. You know, it's like kind of I'm, I'm in the river and just kind of drift on this and ride the current. Um, I I talk about it as a little snowball and we're slowly building the snowball and hopefully it will become something bigger but to let things kind of organically happen. And, you know, the subtitle of the book is one conversation includes the word, you know, solving the empathy crisis, one conversation at a time. And I I'm holding on to um, it is one conversation at a time. And whether that's, you know, Brian, you and I having a conversation like we are right now and that word getting out, or if it's, um, you know, an individual conversation with one private person about something, that's how you have to do it. Um, You know, if I get to have a conversation with Oprah someday about it or Brene Brown, that'd be super cool. But in the meantime, how do I, what are the conversations to be having to, to connect and reach out to people? So that that's been the big uh, sort of lesson for me is like um, you've got to keep at it. I know people that have launched books, put a lot of work into the lead up to it, and then don't do anything afterward. And as Jesse sent me a note the other day, just reminding me like this is just the beginning. Like there's a lot of opportunity beyond the the launch of the book right. to keep the book going and, and keep people thinking about it. And I actually just booked my first speaking engagement tied to the book that came from a podcast that I did. So it was like one conversation about a podcast is now leading to an opportunity to talk to a thousand people at a conference and that'll lead to you know something else. Um, so it's continuing to do that and, and letting the, the, I guess, the spider web of connections do its thing. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you're doing an audiobook, right? And I'm doing an audiobook. We now, are you reading that. it? I am reading it. Good, yes. Good. Yes. Thank you. It's always interesting um, when other folks, besides David Goggins' book, which is awesome. I, you know, I don't know if you ever read David Goggins' book, uh, Can't Hurt Me. He had his editor read it and he, you know, they did like mini podcasts in between. I think it's just a, a fascinating book his story in general. But other than that, like having the actual author read it, I think is the only way to do it. You kind of get your heart and soul into it. So yeah, that's glad you're doing that, that. everyone that's asked me that knows me and has asked me about the audiobook has been like, I hope you're doing it because you're, you know, again, a good storyteller and, and it is my stories. Um, one thing that we're doing that I'm excited about in particular with the audiobook is bringing in some voice actors uh, because there are parts of the book where I use the transcripts from these interviews that I did and it's me and these other people. Um, and so rather than me try to read strangers, mm-hmm. they're going to read those parts and we're going to try to recreate more dialogue uh, that we had rather than just straightforward reading. So we're casting uh, right now for that. I'm really excited about that element too, and I think it's going to make it a unique uh, unique experience for the listener. Wow, that's awesome. What do you, uh, let me ask you this, maybe we'll we'll wrap up because uh, it's been a great conversation as always. Um, what's, if you had to put the quote unquote success of the book, what what, what does success mean for this book? Like when, when do you know it was a success? What, what are you, are you giving yourself any metrics? Are you 
again, getting on Oprah, like what, what, what are your, what, what's your guess, kind of, I guess there's like, you know, I would put the Oprah Brene thing as like the dream. Um, I, but to me, I, I'm, I'm doing the book in order to help make the world a better place. So to put metrics against it of sales and, you know, all of that, it doesn't feel right to me. I have an eye on it I, and I am running a business, so I have to be smart about it. I think for me, um, I'll know the book is a success. I, I'm, I'll know the book is a success when somebody that I don't know comes up to me and tells me that you know they read the book and it really changed the way they think and they behave and use empathy in their life and it made their 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 life better mm-hmm. or somebody else's life better they were able to help somebody somehow that i think is the that's what i'm looking forward to so i guess that's the metric of success for me i love that it's uh, and and that's again who you are as a person i i would say i mean the fact that you know, you, and knowing just my just get started platform and, and what I'm about, the fact that you're publishing a book, a lot of people start writing a book and never publish it. So kudos to you for actually grinding through writing it and getting to this point to publish it. Thank you. Well, and I mean, kudos to you for like, you're on book number two, you're like way ahead of me. Well, <laughs> I mean, these are these are fun children's books. I don't know. I mean, a little different process and Maybe, but um, um, yeah, I mean, I, but I think in general, I, I, you know, one of the things I think there's probably a similarity with us is the fact of, you know, my first book was I started writing when my son was born and then I shelved it for many years because I was just scared to put it out in the world. I was nervous. What were people going to think? Brian's not a children's book author, you know, and then I, and that's been a whole part of my journey the last dozen years anyways. But once I got over that, right, and I published it, it, it was just kind of like the floodgates opened. You really? know, with, yeah, because I mean, I think of all the the stuff I'm doing now, I mean, that book and kind of getting that and this was probably, even though I started the podcast in 2017, I mean, that was probably the tipping point for me. That gave me momentum and motivation to finish the book. And, and really, I 2018, 2019, I didn't publish it until 2021, because of uh, yeah. some illustrator issues. And <laughs> we won't go into that. But, uh, but again, that gave me, I think, the momentum to do a lot more writing and, and those type of things that I do now. And it ultimately led to the second book. And actually, um, I actually have a third book written. Um, oh, oh, awesome. That's gonna be cool. That I, I don't know when I'll launch it, I think maybe later this year or early next, just kind of see how that plays out. I haven't started illustrating or anything on it. But anyway, so it's, it's just those are fun projects I love to do with the children's book, but it tells that same message the getting started, the you know, the some of the important things that I believe in about relationships and belonging and um, you know, how important it is to, you know, how you get energy and, and how that's important for your day with mental health. And so anyways, all those things, they're kind of a part of all the books that I'm writing for these children's books, among other books I'm going to write as well. So, yeah. Well, but I would think a children, I mean, look, brevity is not my, you know, <laughs> I love to tell a yarn. Um, and so I can only imagine the challenge of writing a children's book where you've got to figure out like, this is what I'm going to say. And I mean, how many words, what, what is the word count of one of your books? I don't even, I mean, like this second one, it's called, that's, that's launching the same day as yours. It's called the magically magnificent, mysterious mind. And it's all about a positive mindset and how that basically 
can help you be happy and give happiness out into the world. Um, I would, I don't even know what the work, I mean, it's like 15 spreads. So think of it like 30 pages, right? Um, so, you know, I don't know, maybe there's, you and know, maybe, two, maybe like two, call it two stanzas per page, you know, so four lines. So I don't know, did the, you know, whatever the math is on that, maybe anyways, it's not a lot of words. Yeah. Right. Well, if, so let's, let's just say it's 25 words a page, um, yeah. which sounds like that might be a lot if it's just two stanzas, but it'll make the math easier. 25 words a page times 30 pages. So what is that? 1500 words? Did I do that math right? I don't, I don't know. Not even eight hundred. Your reader, your your listeners will blast this on social media. What? They can't do math. No, I can't. That's why I'm a writer. Um, but okay, so like you're 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 confined somewhat. That becomes part of the creative challenge, I would think. Yeah. It's like here's the message I want to get out. Here's the, and, and I got to tell a story and do it in a limited number of words and yet in a way that gets the message across and to children. Yeah, I'm writing to adults. Well, you know, what's interesting, too. And this is partly, I think, the more of a psychology play. Um, and I don't think I've ever said this to anyone, but I, I'll, I'll share it with you and because you'll get this. I'm a parent, right? I have a nine and a half year old. So I read with him almost every night, the, the weeks that he's with me. And I kind of get my mind because like, I'll read some things and we're reading a story, whether it's a rhyming book or now he's more into chapter books and stuff, but I'll read some stuff and like, I'll get an idea in my head or I'll get a thought. Like, it's almost like, yeah, the book's really for him, but technically that's giving a message to the parent that's involved in it. So my whole part of the part, part of the psychology behind writing these books too, is to give a little, little kind of nudge to the parents or the guardians or whoever's reading the book of like, Hey, Maybe you could take this idea too, because if you read the the book, um, I'll I'll let you know when it's out. But like yeah. if you read if you read the book, you'll be like, oh yeah, I could see where Brian kind of interjected some like thoughts where like parents could easily do the same stuff the kids get sleep, make good choices, like all of this type of stuff, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, anyways, yeah. I think there's part partly there. I think I was writing the book for the kids, but I was also writing it for the parents as well. In a weird weird kind of way, so no, not in a in a lay. It's very layered, Uh, multiple audiences, and and you're right. The parents are often reading, or some caregiver is reading with the child, Um, Mm -hmm. and you have an 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 opportunity to impact them as well. That's so cool. I really appreciate your mentioning the fear of um, with your first book of like, will people like this or not? That Mm -hmm. you know it. I describe this as like, this has been harder for me than writing a book uh, or than starting a company. Writing a book has been harder than, than writing or starting a company and running a company um, because you're putting yourself out there. It's your sort of creative and you're opening yourself up to people to, you know, hopefully praise, but to critique as well. And then getting comfortable with the idea that not everybody's going to like what you do. Um so I, I I appreciate your mentioning that and calling that out because that is definitely a big piece of the uh, journey. I, um, I, yeah, I think, and I think it's something that probably doesn't maybe get talked about as much around like why people quit. I, I don't think like quitting sounds so bad, but it's really just, it's not that you necessarily quit. It's like you just don't finish. And, maybe, and I think there's probably, there, those might be two different things, right? So that's for me when I shelved the book. And I remember this, you know, kind of thinking back and really having awareness around this. I, I was thinking back like 20, 
you know, 14, 15, 16, when I kind of had this like book that was, you know, I don't know, 50, 60, 70% written, depending on you know, who you talk to. But I was like, I had this cool story, but I just, I wasn't there yet mentally because I hadn't got the confidence. I hadn't got the, uh, and again, this is all what my Just Get Started platforms about, is about, you know, giving people that confidence that, hey, listen, anyone can do it. You just have to believe in yourself. You have to overcome some of those, you know, childhood beliefs you had, maybe the self-limiting beliefs. So it took me a while. Um, and I think, like I said, I, that's why this podcast, and I'm so appreciative you come back on for a second time. It's like, this has been the catalyst for me. Getting this started is kind of the biggest thing I did in terms of, I think about all this stuff in my life um, from a standpoint of like getting way outside my comfort zone, Right. Because anyone globally can listen to this. Anyone can beat this up, right? Anyone can be like, well, Brian, yeah, that was a weird question to ask. Or, hey, your voice didn't sound great here. Who you know? Who knows? What right, the, right. the myriad of things. You're launching a podcast um, and that kind of thing. So, it, yeah, that fear, oh, my gosh. I mean, I still deal with it a little bit today. You know, it's not nearly as much, but it's there for sure. I, I, I can imagine that it, having empathy with you, I can imagine that it, it would be um, related to the podcast. And what um, what was it that gave you the confidence with the the first book to pick it back up and and bring it to completion? Well, I think part of it was, was again, doing the podcast and kind of talking to folks over and over again about them starting businesses or them writing and them doing whatever. And I, and I started to think, I said, I'm not that different than these folks. Like they're, they're people just like me. They come from all different backgrounds, um, you know, all different shapes and sizes and colors. Like everyone's different, yeah. but we're all kind of similar though. In the fact that we all have fears and anxiety and, and doubt and all this stuff, they just come at different ways. And so after I think kind of going through the motions of the podcast and, and those type of things, and I think you know, partly, and I talk about this openly, I think going through a divorce, um, I think that was a big thing as well for me, because I was like, what did I think I knew that I didn't know, you know, like, you know, kind of going back to the Dunning-Kruger effect, like, what did I think I know that maybe I'm not, I'm wrong on? So it kind of made me really shake up all this stuff in my life. And, and then I, you know, I had this book sitting there. I'm like, why the hell am I not finishing this thing? Yeah. I wrote it about my son. I wrote it about, you know, obviously it's about getting started in golf and golf, such a big part of my life. So I said, wait a minute, I could, this could be huge for people to read with their kids. I got to finish this thing. And that's, I think part, those are some of the breadcrumbs, if you will, I think that led me to ultimately saying, I got to finish this thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, it's crazy to think back. Cause I think that was 20, I, I think I ultimately picked it back up and finished writing it and then looking for illustrating stuff in probably the spring of 2019. If I, if I, if the timeline is correct, mm-hmm. um, I was supposed to publish it in 2020 and like I said, some illustrator issues publish it in spring of 2021. Right. Um, so yeah, there's, yeah, there's, um, well, hey, there's no rushing divine timing, but I, I agree with what you're saying. There's a lot of things that people have the ability to do, but stuff gets in their way. And a lot of it is driven by fear and insecurity. And, and you know, back to our social media conversation too, there's this sort of perfect world that somebody presents. And mm-hmm. what I've tried to do, if you look back through um, my social media for the last, definitely the last year, year and a half, I've been very 
um, forthcoming about the experience of writing the book. There's you know, pictures of me editing, and yes, I'm in a cafe and I'm getting to go through the proofs, but I do write about some of the struggles that I had as well as the joys because that that's the reality of it. And um, people do need to recognize that you know that public face of things isn't isn't the only part of the story. There's a lot more to it. And so don't let that get in your way, you know, and, and your book is going to be, you know, or whatever your, your project is, it's going to take on a life of its own. And some things, you know, will reach bigger success than others. And, but it depends on how, you, you know, what are you ultimately doing it for and why? And like you, it sounds like we're doing it for your son. Um, yeah. It was a large motivator for you. Um, well, you know what's, fun, what's funny too, Rob, is the um, you, what you just said there made me think of, we get so many labels in our life. Everyone puts labels on us generally. We'll put labels on ourselves, but like I was the golf guy for a while. You know, I used to, I don't, I don't know if we talked about this in our first conversation, but I used to be a PJ professional. I used to teach golf for a living. Um, so I was known as the golf guy. So like when I transitioned out of the golf industry, that was a huge change for me. And I learned a lot in that back in the, you know, kind of 2013, 2012, 2013 kind of era, mm-hmm. um, right around when I had my son and stuff. But what's interesting is that's why I think ultimately the book was challenging. And then ultimately I had to come overcome that to start the podcast. Cause like, wait a minute, you're this type of person. What do you mean you're writing a children's book? You're not a children's book author. Because again, you get compared with like Dr. Seuss or something. I'm like, well, not really. You know, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like you always get compared with like other people. You know what I'm saying? You always get compared with like, like, like even with the podcast when folks are like, and I remember this, I don't get it as much anymore because, you know, I have well over 200 episodes now and I've had, you know, great guests like yourself. Like I've had all these, you know, awesome experiences. No one really says it now, but I, in the first year or two, I had a lot of people that were like, you're doing a podcast because they put me on the pedestal with like Joe Rogan. And I'm like, well, I'm not Joe Rogan. It's a different, it's, it's, yeah. you know, you can have different levels of this stuff. Um, but anyway, so that's, and I think a lot of folks listening and maybe probably go through those similar scenarios in their, you know, it, it's the judgment we talked about earlier. A lot of people want to judge. And if we take that, you know, for what it is and we say, oh, they're judging me. Oh, that I got to make a decision based on that judgment. We're going to get crushed. But if we understand that's going to come, we just have to shield it off and keep moving forward. What we believe in, sky's the limit. No, absolutely. And like, who are they and what have they done? You know, Joe Rogan wants to come and give you some feedback. That's a gift and take it. But Joe Schmo, like, who who are you to criticize me? I'm at least doing it. Um, 100%. If there's something constructive that you want to share, then I'll, I'll be happy to hear it. But otherwise, like, come on. Um, and yeah, we have to get over that fear and, you know, you're not going to please all the people all the time. I think that's an old Dale Carnegie, um, thing, um, in sales, like, you know, half the people are, what is it? I forget the numbers, but like only a certain number of people are really going to love you. Half the people are going to be like, whatever. And then there's a certain number of people that are just never going to like you and you have to be okay with that. Um, it just is what it is. You'll never win them over. Um, but you have to learn, I think, and and I'm going through that renewed process in a renewed way now. Like you've got to learn how to um, have your your I'm gonna say your guard up, but not to take it personally, mm-hmm. and just you know something's motivating them. That's their issue, not mine, and and move beyond that. Um, yeah, the fear is is very 
real um, and putting that thing out there. But there's also, I think the other thing I would say too, is like when people are asking you, because I've had people ask me, like I, I've this book sits somewhere in the personal growth and professional development space. It's very general audience. Um, it is not written. It's not a business book. Mm-hmm. It is not you know, it, it's not just about business or or professional development. It's about empathy. And empathy is something we can all use in our, our lives. And so I've had, I had a client recently ask me like, well, why you? You're like a qualitative researcher. And I was like, well, exactly why me? Because I am an observer of human behavior and I pay attention to those things. And empathy is important to me. And I've, you know, paid attention to the studies that are out there and done the thinking about it and done my own work in addition, and I'm fortunate to sit in a position where I can synthesize all of that into something that has been useful already to clients and now can be useful to to a more general population when we need it the most. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you're you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, I think this goes back to what, and actually what you said earlier is important about, you know, I kind of thought when you were talking about like, you know, hey, if Rogan comes, gives me, you know, you know, interview advice or something like that, but that whole, the, the whole man in the arena speech, you know, like that's the thing. Like if you're not in the arena, if you're not trying, I, I don't, and I, and this, that actually was one of the big things that helped me get over it the last few years, that, that kind of thought process. I'm like, if you're not even trying, if you're on the sidelines judging and, and what have you, I'll respect you can do that. No, go ahead. No, you know, I'm not going to, that's your life, but I'm not going to take it um, as gospel, because you're saying it, you're not even in there trying. Now, if you're in there trying and you're testing and you're tasting and you're like, Hey, Brian, have you considered this or that? I'm going to give it more clout because you're actually doing it. You've, you've gone through those experiences, those emotions that we go through. Right. 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 So even you, like you're writing a different type of book, but I could even, you know, if we, if we chatted for five more hours here, I can think of all the other emotions you probably went through and we could dive into deeper that you went through. Like, even saying, I am going to go on that journey to write, well, keep picking up that pen in the morning and actually doing it versus eh, let me go warm my coffee for another five minutes. You know, like we oh, always, yeah. you know, the, we always find ways to, uh, <laughs> we always find ways to, uh, you know, not do something. So, and I, and I, and I said it in our conversation earlier, I excused it with, with, well, work was really busy. Yeah. Well, yeah, but if you really wanted to do it, you'd make the time. You know, isn't that what they say? You'll find the time right. to do that stuff. And and there were certainly periods of putting, you know, really leaning into it, um, and and writing. And I mean, <laughs> my business had a really horrible Q1 last year, and so it was a really stressful time. And that was also when I was going through revising the book, and I made time for it. You know, every weekend. Um, it was get up in the morning and, and start writing and work through it. So work had its time and the book had its time. Um, but you have to do it and you have to have the self-awareness as, as you were pointing out too, of like what's holding you back? What, what is it? What are the, the excuses you're making in your head? What are you afraid of? And how do, can you overcome that? Oh, this has been awesome, man. I'm, uh, I'm looking at the time. I'm like, gosh, we're, we're just rolling along here pretty good. Um, <laughs> Any last words, thoughts, encouragements of the audience? Anything you're thinking about maybe? Well, as it's relating to all of this, you know, and and just getting started, it is about, you know, asking yourself what's holding yourself back and to stop comparing yourself to other people and to, you know, 
do they say you do you, which can sound a little trite at times, but it's true. Yeah. Like what, what's your, who are you? Why not you? I guess it's why not you? And then what is it that you have to offer? Don't compare yourself to me or to Brian. Yeah. Do what is authentic and true to you. I think that's the era that we're living in. And, yeah. you know, if it's a podcast, if it's a book, if it's whatever, go do it and enjoy it. And that's the other piece. Like if there's no joy in it, it's like that first book I was trying to write. Mm -hmm. I wasn't finding joy. I wasn't passionate about it. But then as I started writing about empathy, that just felt amazing. And I loved it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I absolutely love that. If, you know, if I panned over my camera, you'll see in my whiteboard over here, I have a question written. You want to know what the question is? What's the question? It says, why can't it be you? Exactly. Isn't, that, isn't that crazy what you just said? That's yeah. I, I've been, I've had that written on my mirror or and or whiteboard for almost three years. Cause it goes back to what you just said. Why, why can't it be me? Why, why does someone else have, have to write the book or launch the business or do the podcast or whatever it ends up being? That why can't I do it? Why can't I share all the gifts I think I have, the the empathy I have, the positivity, all that? That could be something I can share with the world. So yeah. go out and let's share it. And exactly. you know, and I almost owe it to the world to do that. Kind of that's how I think about it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And as long as you do it with kindness and sort of altruism yeah. in your heart, I think it, you can you we all can, you know, it, it's I've I've very um quickly i've been connecting with a lot of people on linkedin in particular that have empathy they're you know as i say brave enough to put empathy in their description of like who they are what their their job is whether it's empathetic leader or you know whatever um, empathy i i say i'm an empathy activist and i've been connecting with those folks and having conversations with them because i'm really curious to hear what everybody's doing and understand that because and as i say to them you know, everybody's doing something, we're all throwing some stones into the pond. And if each one of us is doing something, throwing a stone into the pond, it's going to create quite a lot of wave um, versus just one person or relying on one person to do it. So mm -hmm. I have my book, other people have their own, you know, whether it, it's community organizing and activities and, and events or other people are doing other training programs, we're all coming at this Uh with an effort to make the world a better place. And together we can all do that, mm. but we all have to do our own thing and our own part. And it's going to be different from what the person next to you is going to be doing. And that's amazing. Yeah. All right, Rob. 222.22. Big day for us. Big day. <laughs> um, I'm assuming Amazon, the best place to get it what, on your website. What do you, where's the best spot? So yes, thank you. If people go to um, five steps to empathy.com, the number five, uh, five steps to empathy.com. That's the um, page about the book and there's links, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, most independent booksellers. A lot of people are, are picking it up available for pre-order now. And then physically you can go in and pick up a copy starting 222. And if people would like to follow me or connect with me, which I would love, uh, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn, obviously, Rob Volpe, search Rob Volpe, Empathy Activist. You'll find me on uh, Instagram, Empathy Activist, on Peloton, not that we can communicate that way, but I'm a big Peloton person, Empathy Activist. Um, I'm also on Twitter, RM Volpe, and on TikTok as Empathy Activist. 
so lots of different different places and i hope people do uh find me thanks again for coming on man this was a fun second interview we'll have to do a third here down the road i'm i would love to i would love to it's like kind of the next the next next stage how was it in retrospect (laughs) (laughs) well congrats again man i'm uh, i'm excited to uh to see this book launch and all the success with it for you Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate the opportunity to come in and chat with you and your audience and look forward to the next one. And good luck. Uh, We'll have to connect somehow on 222. Absolutely. Hey, everyone, just one more quick thing before you skip along in your day. You know, if you do enjoy this content or other things that I've put out or just enjoy learning more and trying to adapt your thinking uh, to become happier each and every day, there's a couple of things that you may benefit from. Um, If you go to my website, brianandreco.com forward slash subscribe, you can sign up for my newsletter that goes out once a week. And that's really a digest of a lot of information that I gather throughout the weeks, whether it's a new video that I think could be informative or a podcast that's been valuable to me, book that I might read, etc. Um, secondly, I blog three times a week, and these are more micro blogs, one to five minute reads, short digestible blogs that'll send right to your inbox on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. So check that out on my website, brianandreco.com forward slash subscribe if you think it's something you might enjoy. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.